turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Listen, this is indicative of the human heart. Every human being has an innate need to worship. The question becomes who or what you will worship. All of us have an innate need to pay worth to something greater than ourselves. Now, hopefully, when you understand who God is and when you accept Christ as your Savior, then you ascribe worth unto God, worth unto God, worship. The etymology of that word is ascribing worth-ship to God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. As humans, it's in our nature to idolize something. Whether it's movie stars, music, sports, or cars, we will inevitably put our full attention and allegiance towards something. Pastor Gary reminds us today that our only idol should be Jesus. Jesus wants our full heart and attention. Only in Him will we find an idol worthy of our time, for only He will reign through eternity. Though it's fine to have passions and interests in your life, be certain that those things do not become the center of your life, for anything that's not Jesus will ultimately disappoint you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 106 for part two of today's message titled, Faithfulness, Our Forgetfulness. And so God does rain down quail, the Bible says, as deep as up to their knees in the camp. They had so much figuratively it says it was coming out their nostrils, but what it just means is they had more than enough and they were basically were overwhelmed by what God did. And God did it in a big way to basically show them, you know, stop your whining, stop your belly aching, I can do whatever I want, here's more than you even want. And they frustrated God. They angered him because of their discontentment. And discontentment is a form of forgetting God. And so that's one of the things that the, uh, that the psalmist points out. Notice at the end of verse 15, it says, but God sent a wasting disease upon them. It's interesting if you have a King James Bible, it translates the Hebrew a little bit differently. King James says that he sent leanness into their soul. He sent leanness into their soul. It's a picture of this. They may have been physically satisfied. Their appetite was quenched but they were still left empty in their soul. Because when you forget God, you might have all the other things that the world offers. But if you forget God, you will feel an emptiness of your soul 
that only he can satisfy. Another thing that the psalmist points out further down, verse 19, is a situation with the golden calf. Verse 19 says, At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So this is the scene of the golden calf. Many of you are probably familiar with this story. This is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments from God. And when he went up to Mount Sinai, he left his brother Aaron in charge. And Aaron didn't give the best leadership to the people of God because the Bible says that when Moses was a long time in coming down from the mountain, the people grew impatient and they went to Aaron, the guy in charge, said, Aaron, we don't know where Mo is and we're a little, we're a little tired of waiting for him and we really want to worship something. So why don't you put together something for us so we can worship? And Aaron being the spiritual leader that he was, said, why don't you take off all your gold bling, throw it into a pot, and I'll melt it down and fashion an idol. What? They just left Egypt, the place of idolatry, and they're now going to do what? And so, yeah, the Bible says that Aaron took all their gold, melted it down, fashioned together a bull. The Bible says he took a tool and actually fashioned it. Okay, keep that in mind. Makes this bull. Where did he get this idea? They got the idea because it was a carryover from Egypt. The Egyptians, among many gods, worshipped the bull god Apis. And so they're thinking to themselves, we, we, we have nothing to worship, so let's just worship this bull idol. Okay, now, friends, listen, this is indicative of the human heart. Every human being has an innate need to worship. The question becomes who or what you will worship. All of us have an innate need to pay worth to something greater than ourselves. Now, hopefully, when you understand who God is and when you accept Christ as your Savior, then you're, you ascribe worth unto God, worth unto God, worship. The etymology of that word is ascribing worth-ship to God. The people here are so desperate to worship, but yet we're unfamiliar with who God is at this point and how to worship him, end up stooping to a level of idolatry and worshiping a golden calf. Now, Moses gets wind of this because God tells Moses on Mount Sinai, and it's very interesting in the language of the Bible because God basically uses language to show he wants nothing to do with the Israelites because he says to Moses, you better get down off the mountain, your people, he says, not my people. He says, your people are engaging in idolatry and revelry. Moses goes down off Mount Sinai. He sees Aaron. He's like, bro, dude, yo, what in the world are you doing? And Aaron Aaron says this. I'm not making it up. It's Exodus 32. He says, Moses, don't look at me, man. They threw a bunch of gold together in the fire, and out came this calf. I'm just telling you. And Moses says, that's a bunch of bull. And uh, <laughs> come on, it's a little idolatry humor, friends. Get with it. And so, and so out comes this. He fashioned it with a tool, the Bible says. It didn't just crawl out of the fire. All right? But the people engaged in idolatry. How quickly they had forgotten the God who parted the Red Sea. Now, do you ever do this when you read your Bibles? I'm guilty of this, and I'll admit it. Do you ever read your Bibles, and you look at silly, stupid things that some people do, and you think to yourself, I'd never do that. I know that's pride, but have you ever done that? Have you ever, the same people who try to find your car with your clicker, I know you, you've done that, as I have. And you've looked at a story like this, and I would think to myself, I've read, you know, I would like to think that if God threw back the Red Sea, 
so that I could walk over on dry ground, that would just make a little impression. And then when I got to the other side, I'd actually realized, man, we serve a big God. This is incredible. Look at this, a wall of water to the right and a wall of water to the left. And I'm walking through on dry ground. God is good. That whole plague thing, that was pretty awesome too. So that when you get to the other side, you'd be like, okay, yeah, the God who parted the Red Sea, let's worship him. Why in the world did they stoop to this level? Do they really think Moo God did all that? But we can be guilty too. Because I know in my life there have been times that God showed up in amazing ways. And then I encountered some other crisis and wondered if God would still show up the way he did the last time. Why, why don't I remember what he did before so that it would boost my faith for the next time? Because we all tend to forget. The people were guilty of forgetting God and then they fell into revelry and idolatry and immorality and disobedience is a form of forgetting God. Another story he references is in verse 24 and 25. Look in your Bibles at verse 24. He says, Then they despised the pleasant land. It's talking about the promised land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. Now this is a reference to the report of the spies. Just before they enter the promised land, Moses sends a recon mission. A team of 12 guys to spy out the land. So they put on the the black face paint, they wear camos, they go on over into the promised land and they're just spying out. They're looking at the people, they're looking at what kind of military strength they have. They're also looking and surveying the land itself. How fruitful is it? How productive is it? What are we getting ourselves into? 12 spies are sent in, 12 spies come back. Only two have a good report. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they say, oh, I mean, there's, there's some big dudes in the land, but it's okay. We can take him because our God is strong and he's bigger than anybody else and better than anybody else. So our God is with us and he will go before us. Plus, plus, Joshua and Caleb add, the land is flowing with milk and honey. That is an expression you find at different passages in the Bible that just simply mean that uh, Israel's a very fruitful place, a land of milk where, where cattle uh, graze and produce milk, a land of honey where bees pollinate and there's honey production and it's a very fruitful land. And in fact, even today, the, the logo for Israel's ministry of tourism is a picture of a, a shadow of Caleb and Joshua carrying between them a pole and on the pole hangs a cluster of grapes that hangs from their shoulder down to the ground. The grapes that were produced at this time in Israel are suspected to have been the size of golf balls or bigger. It was a lush, fertile land. And these two come back and say, let's go. God's with us. We're going to take the land. But the other 10 spies, they were kind of Debbie Downers. They're like, I don't think we can take it. There's some giants in the land. And so the Bible says that it spread a bad report among the people in the camp. And they end up going into their tents and grumbling. That's the reference here in Psalm 106. That they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. The majority then of the Israelites decided to believe the bad report of the ten spies. They retreat into their tents. They just grumble against God. And as a result, 
This entire generation will not enter the promised land. They will end up dying in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb from this generation will join the next generation and go into the promised land some 40 years later. They were dissatisfied. They didn't believe God, and dissatisfaction is a form of forgetting God. Verse 32, the scene is the waters of Meribah. In verse 32, it says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. Now, this is an incident where they were complaining about not having enough water in the wilderness. God had been miraculously not only providing food, but also water for them. Out of rocks. The Bible says miraculously, God would spring forth water from rocks. And Moses' responsibility was to go up to the rock and speak to it or pray over it. And God would then show his power by bursting forth water from these rocks. But on this occasion, at this place called Meribah, which in Hebrew means quarreling, the people of God are all, they're all worked up. And they're all like, you know what? We want some more water. We got the manna thing. We, you know, we got the quail thing. We want water now. We want more water. And they are complaining and they're grumbling. And Moses, I mean, Moses, bless his heart now. You know, I mean, he's over 80 at this point now. And so, you know, and it's hot. You know, and it's, and it's in the desert. All right? You put those combinations together, 80, desert, hot. And he goes off Kung Fu Panda style. I mean, he, he just, he takes his staff and instead of speaking to the rock like he's supposed to, which would have shown the power of God... He starts beating the rock. He takes his staff. He's like, rah, rah, you miserable people. You know, he's all angry with them. He's all jacked up. And he's just beating this rock with his staff. And out comes the water. Now, what happens is he misrepresents God. Because in this moment of his anger, he shows his frustration. He doesn't show the power of God. The Israelites are standing back going, well, now is the water coming forth from the rock because God did that? Or Moses just beat it hard enough? Which is it? And as a result of this scene, Moses will not be allowed to go into the promised land because he misrepresented God. Now, before you feel too sorry for him, remember that there's typology in the Bible, and really it had to happen this way for the bigger purpose and the bigger picture. Moses is a picture of the law. He represents the law. First five books of the Bible written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Moses represents the law. The law can never take you into the promised land. The law can never lead you, ultimately, in the big picture of the promised land. There's some, there's some flaws with this parallel. It's not perfect. But in, in the big picture, the, the promised land can represent heaven in some regard. The law can never get you into heaven. Good works and obeying commandments will never get you into heaven. The one who had to take the people of God into the promised land was the protege of Moses, who was Joshua, or in Hebrew, his name is Yahashua, which means the Lord is salvation. Who also was given that name upon his birth? Jesus. Jesus is a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew name. His given Hebrew name was Yahashua, meaning the Lord is salvation. Why? Because the angel appearing to Mary said that he will save his people from their sins. The only real way we get to heaven is not through the law and obeying commandments, but it's through the Savior. It had to be Yahashua, it had to be Yeshua, it had to be the Savior who takes us into the promised land. There's a bigger picture in this story than just feeling sorry for Moses, but nevertheless, he couldn't go in. 
people in their grumbling and in their complaining and their discontentment forgot God. The last example we'll see here is verse 34 to 37, and this becomes the most serious of all their sins. When we look here at verse 37, now the people of God are living in the promised land. This is now during the period of the monarchy. And in verse 34, it says this, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. What is he referring to? There was a dark time in Israel's history during the period of the monarchy, particularly during the time when King Solomon was king. When the people of God, instead of displacing the pagan people who occupied the land that God had given them, instead of displacing them, the Bible says they mingled with them. And they adopted their customs. And one of the customs that the pagan people had in the land before the Jews got there was the sacrifice of children in the worship of their false gods. When the Israelites mingled with their culture, they adopted the customs and they too started sacrificing their children to these false gods. If you go to Israel today, and there's a group of 100 going with me this October, we pass over a valley where there is still a placard in memory of the children. And that valley is called the Valley of the Children. Because they never want to forget what happened in that dark time of their own history. Can you imagine taking your own babies and killing them? You're talking about forgetting God. That's what they were doing. Proverbs 6.16 says that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And one of the things on the list, hands that shed innocent blood. So this is Israel's rap sheet. Psalm 106 is a list of their crimes, their sins, their offenses, their rebellion against God. They kept forgetting him. He would be good to them, and then they'd forget. So they'd sin. He'd forgive them. He'd be good to them. They'd forget. They'd sin. They'd disobey. They'd rebel. God would forgive them. He'd be good to them. They would forget. They would rebel. They would sin. God would forgive them. You know, when you look at the record of all their rebellion, discontentment, unfaithfulness, ingratitude, and sin that you see here through chapter 106, it would be enough to make anybody say, that's it. That's it. You, you've done this to me so many times, I'm done with you. That's it. But not God. Not God. If you look at the way this chapter ends, I want to read with you verse 44 to the end. Verse 44 says, But he, that is God, took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. He caused them to be pitied, by all who held them captive. Save us, 
O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. You see the way this psalm ends? Let me summarize this. The psalmist says, and he takes responsibility. He says, my generation is just as guilty as my forefathers. And we need to heed this because we can be just as guilty ourselves. It's easy to forget God. To forget how good he is and his mighty deeds on our behalf. And so we become discontent, we become dissatisfied, we become disobedient, we do things in our lives too that show we forget God. We sin against Him. We do terrible things. In fact, as I was even reading through those verses earlier, I was reminded of how we are guilty of shedding innocent blood too. The number of abortions in America... And there are some right here today, some of you ladies, you've had abortions, and some of you men have been a part of that decision. But I just want you to know that God is a merciful, loving, and forgiving God, and that we can have a rap list a mile long, like Israel did. And time and time again, God will forgive us, and God will love us. And God cares about us. That's the God that we serve. Otherwise, when we look at this list, it would be enough for any of us to say, that's it. You do, you do that to me one more time, I'm done. How many times over and over and over did the people of Israel rebel against God, show that they were ungrateful and discontent and dissatisfied and sin against God and time and time again? God said, I love you. I forgive you. I'll receive you back. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Go a couple of chapters back and we'll close with this. Go to Psalm 103. I want you to see a few verses with me about the character of God out of Psalm 103. And there's a challenge in here about not forgetting. So this is a good place for us to close. Psalm 103, look at verses 2 through 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here's who he is. Who forgives all your sins. Anybody thankful for how much God has forgiven you of your sins? And heals all your diseases. Anybody thankful that God is still the healer? Who redeems your life from the pit. Anybody thankful that God is your redeemer? And crowns you with love and compassion. Anybody thankful for God's love and compassion? And who satisfies your desires with good things. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. All his benefits. This is who God is. He's the God who forgives and heals and redeems and loves and satisfies us with good things. That's our Father in heaven. And no matter what you may have done to sin against him, rebel against him, be disobedient against him, he's this God who forgives and heals and redeems and loves and satisfies. May we never forget May we never forget. Amen.
Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're That you've got no place to go But still you know